I am personally in my healing journey. I had some traumatic childhood and um, traumatic experiences uh, while coming from South Korea to uh, United States. So I had this realizing moment a few years ago and um, that I needed to heal really to uh, be a true advocate for patients. Welcome to season 13 of Purposeful Empathy, a show that is dedicated to amplifying the voices of people from across the globe who understand the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. I want to thank you for watching, enjoy the show, and if you haven't already picked up a copy, I invite you to do so. Welcome to a new episode of Purposeful Empathy. Today I am doc joined by Dr. Sujin Jun, who is a board certified geriatric pharmacist, a population health pharmacist, a patient revolution fellow, and a Doximities luminary fellow. She specializes in medication therapy management and believes that a combination of art, empathy, and compassion in healthcare can make healing possible. Sujin is a staunch advocate for patient safety, patient rights, health equity, health literacy, patient education, the expansion of roles for pharmacists in public health and policy, and she works tirelessly on behalf of voiceless patients, especially those with language and cultural barriers. In light of her passion, she is the founding or a founding member of Patients for Patient Safety US, a group of activists who have experienced medical harm directly or indirectly and are committed to implementing the World Health Organization's Global Patient Safety Action Plan. Welcome to the show, Sujin. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited. Same. And you are, I think we're about 150 guests into this podcast. You're the first pharmacist that I'm having a conversation oh, with. So I'm very excited, <laughs> very excited. Um, you think that empathy is essential for the healthcare industry. I think we kind of know that intuitively, but why do you suppose um, from your perspective, it's so important? Well, I started my healthcare journey as a caregiver for my father and uh, it was at the end of when uh, when he was passing away, I experienced this special moment with a nurse who was taking care of him uh, during his care. And I'm going to expand on that as, as a wrap-up story later on, but that was a realization of empathy moment for me. And I felt so compelled that empathy is a must have for healthcare professionals in order for them to be able to touch patients' hearts and caregivers' hearts. It's a heart-to-heart -heart communication, I feel. And that was very profound experience I had um, before I changed my career from being a videographer to a pharmacist. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I answered the question. <laughs> yeah, and I'm so sorry you lost your dad. I guess um, my profound condolences. How long ago was that? It was uh, in 2007, so about 15 years ago, 17 years ago. Yeah. Wow. So you became a pharmacist touched by that experience. And okay, we will circle back to that profound story as part of the outro of the conversation. And I really... Um, I can already, I can already feel the tears welling up. Um, 
I'm also touched by something that you shared with me. Um, you know, I asked my guests to to suggest a couple of questions that they feel that they want to um, maybe maybe reflect on or have a conversation about. And and I I often invite guests to say, you know, what would you like the main takeaways of this conversation to be? And surely you re-emphasize the importance of empathy in the healthcare industry. But you said we cannot provide healing when we are hurting. And I wonder if maybe you could expand a little bit on what you meant by that, because it's so it's it really is profound. Yeah, so I am personally in my healing journey. I had some traumatic childhood and um, traumatic experiences uh, while coming from South Korea to uh, United States. So I had this realizing moment a few years ago and um, that I needed to heal really to uh, be a true advocate for patients. So I've had um, lifelong anxiety about speaking up and look where I'm at. I have to speak up for patients that I advocate for and caregivers. And so I felt very compelled to really work on myself first in order for me to advocate for patients, but also, you know, really be empathetic uh, about myself first mm. in order for me to advocate for healing for others. Mm. So I decided to seek therapies and I'm currently um, learning how to facilitate also um, while I'm on this healing journey. So when um, when this realization came, uh, it was very natural for me to realize that if we are hurting, we can't we can't heal others because what what's in our heart will be transferred to other people when we are communicating heart to heart, right? So uh, that's that's why I I said what I said, and I after I became a pharmacist, also I was able to look at things in, in a different lens um, when I was versus when I was a caregiver. So I would I would be so judgmental of healthcare professionals who's not responding, who's not able to provide care when I need it and when my father needed. Um, I was so judgmental about that. And after I became a pharmacist, I realized why they couldn't. You know, so they're just so pressured with time, too many patients to care. They can't even, you know, take care of themselves to go to the bathroom and get um, proper breaks. So, you know, that's that has been like a lifelong realization. Hmm. It reminds me. So a, a couple of months ago, I was in New York City um, uh, at, at the beginning of my book launch tour and a friend of mine that I went to high school with, we were roommates in college and he became an orthopedic surgeon. He lives in New York now. And he invited me to give a talk to his residents in orthopedics. And uh, before introducing me and, and, and passing the baton to me to talk about empathy in, in the healthcare industry, um, because I, I have a whole chapter devoted to what I call empathy superheroes, and that involves people in healthcare, but also teachers, humanitarians, psychologists, social workers, anybody who you know is in direct contact with people. 
Um, he actually shared some stories about why he became a physician in the first place, which very touching set of stories. But then he talked about sort of the track that all professionals in healthcare go on. So to become a doctor or a nurse, um, you have to achieve success, right? You have to get great, great grades, you get funneled into, you know, the next level of education, higher education, finally, you know, uh, programs. And then, then you're stuck with sort of the, the machinery of the healthcare industry. I mean, I don't know, it's different in every jurisdiction. The states might be different from Canada, but everybody's complaining about the fact that there's not enough time with patients. There's too much paperwork. And then there's also the fear of failing because anybody who's in the healthcare industry has gone down that track of success. So there's a lot of, you know, ego or shame involved. So it's it's sort of, there's there's a lot of complicating factors involved and so one of the things that I took away from that whole evening was the importance of self-empathy within the healthcare industry. I wonder if you had any thoughts about that. Yeah, self-empathy is very hard for healthcare professionals, especially for the things that you have just mentioned, um, the competitions, but also about that we feel like we need to know more than others or at least for patients or caregivers that we um, speak to and that is being um i would say that is being crushed right with the internet and um, there are so many patients who are educated you know when especially when it comes to like rare disease some patients know more than healthcare professionals i would say because they're just so eager to get well and they research all over the internet, all over, you know, literature and everything. There are so many educated, well-educated patients out there. So um, we feel compelled that we have to provide answers and, you know, we want to be good caregivers for the patients. So um, we feel like we have to even like pretend to know uh, when we don't sometimes, I think. Um, and that creates mistrust at the end of the day and distrust um, when it comes to be uh, like revealed um, later on. So self-empathy, I think, is so important because we, like, we are the um, harshest cr critics sometimes. And, um, you know, the self-compassion, like... I think this is something that I also advocate. Like, if we can't be, um, uh, how should I say it? We can't be expressing the things that we want to express to patients. So empathy, compassion, whatever it is. If we can't do that to ourselves, like, how can we do it to other people is where I come from. Like, I, I'm a um, true believer of the quote of Gandhi, the thing to change the that you like to see in the world i even have that um in the dining uh, dining room wall i have that in um in, in um on the wall mm. um it's not erasable so uh i it's there to remind myself and i also wanted to inspire my kids to remember that and um i think if we can't be the things that we advocate for, it's more projections. Mm. It's a projections of like, like this is something that I kind of realized after working with um, people 
who've lost their loved loved ones through medical harm. Um, like when we are in victim mindset, um, whatever we say or we point the fingers to, those are projections of ourselves. It's not. Um, it comes from the wounds. It's unhealed wounds. So there's and there's I think there's a lot of correlation. I don't know if it's a correlation or if it's the cause, but like the trauma response, empathy could be um, I think part of a trauma response for these advocates and um, people because they so understand um, where they come from when they experience medical harm. Like we don't, they don't have to tell us the story. Like when we know that advocate has experienced medical harm, like it's like my story. So in a way that is like, it's an empathy for the other person, but in a way that becomes like self-empathy too. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's it kind of became a natural process for me as I process the traumas that I experienced for my, for my father's care. Yeah, and just to be sure that I understand, um, this I know what medical malpractice is, but what is medical harm? How how does how do you define that? So it, it can be very broad because harm um, can be unintentional. I, mean, I, I guess harm it, when we make it as a term as a harm, it it's unintentional. It becomes unintentional. Um, there's an intentional aspect to it. it. When it's unintentional, it's a it's an accident or adverse event, or you know there are other terms. But I've experienced um, indirectly through the stories of the co-founders of Patients for Patient Safety U.S. and other advocates. Uh, there are um, stories of denial, stories stories of cover up. Even though they know there was a there was something bad happened to patients and caregivers, so even though it was unintentional in the beginning, it's now a harm because they're trying to make a different story out of what happened truthfully. So that's I that's how I define harm um, when unintentional becomes intentional in a way later on. And um, when the, you know, the fact that people are not acknowledged and not um, cared mm. for, I think that is a, a good definition of harm. Yeah. And I think that acknowledgement is so important, whether or not that's in the healthcare industry or whether it's in private industry or within the legal system or policing. Um, I can see so many applications for the need for acknowledgement for the people, the victims or, or victims' families. Um, I'm curious to know about the World Health Organization's Global Patient Safety Action Plan. So you're trying to implement that through your organization. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that framework and what you're hoping to accomplish with your organization? So World Health Organization um, have a, has a... Uh, you know, audacious goal of zero preventable harm by year 2030. And they have um, published this publication in 2021 uh, with the plan of, um, you know, there are so many aspects in healthcare when it, when, where um, there's digital health, there's policy, there's patient advocacy, engagement, 
there are so many aspects, right? And um, they they have identified thirty five um, categories to focus on. And when it comes to following World Health Organization's advice, I feel our country is quite behind mm. um, in in terms of following their advices and um, being being aligned with what the world is. Um, trying to do in in some sense so um i think there there are um we have so many different organizations just within our country there are 30 some organizations in healthcare that are related to patient safety and there's no one voice <laughs> one, one organization um overseeing when it comes to patient safety events um, there's no monitoring um, organization that does that um, at, at a federal level. So um, we saw the gap of, you know, what World Health Organization is trying to do and how our country is um, going towards. So we wanted to mend this gap um, by aligning uh, what World Health Organization is trying to do because they feel Patients are the most important voice that we can have in quality improvement and patient safety, which I totally agree and are and that's why we were formed. And um, you know, under the um, WHO, other countries also can create organizations like us. So, for example, I, there is a Patients for Patient Safety Canada. Um, there's one in Ireland, and there are. Um, more opportunities that um, countries can um, create organizations like us. So there are other organizations who's trying to do something like us. So they're looking up to us to see how we can um, bridge the gap. And also, um, you know, we recently have um, spoken with um, like UK, Norway, and Finland who have these investigative bodies um, that are is a national level. Uh, when patient safety events occur. So we are trying to find ways that we can bring different um, voices of other countries that can that we can learn from and emulate as um, example um, to really safeguard patients and caregivers and align uh, with what World Health Organization is trying to do. Right, because I think most people who go into the healthcare profession do it with really noble intentions and have compassion embedded in the dream of why they want to be in healthcare in the first place. And um, I think that there's probably even an openness among healthcare professionals um, to have a strong patient safety advocacy because that's what they want too. It's a matter of how it gets done, right? Hi there, at the risk of interrupting this great conversation, I just wanna draw your attention to two things. There's over 150 episodes on the Purposeful Empathy channel. You may wanna check them out, and I would invite you to press the subscribe button so that you get them into your mailbox every week so you don't miss a show. Thanks so much for watching. Without any ad spend or SEO, we have over 25,000 organic views. I want to thank you so much for watching. Again, hit the subscribe button. The world needs more empathy and you have a role to play.
So when you were studying to become a pharmacist, um, what, what role did empathy play in the curriculum or in what you learned? <laughs> Unfortunately, um, there was only like one ethics class, I think, in, um, the, in the entire four-year program we had. And that's, that also, I think, it needs to change as well. And I'm a great advocate for those aspects as well. Um, the Patient Revolution um, Fellowship that I'm in, we um, seek for kind care um, as, as much as possible. And we, um, we I think, um, we want to um, educate like residents. There are there are residents and students in our group as well who are willing to who want to spread the work that we are um, uh, wanting to impact uh, when it comes to educating um, students, medical students, residents, and providing kind care. And it's it's not easy. <laughs> because I mean, you would think it is it is given, but when you when you're crushed with like twenty minutes of visit time uh, for a patient, and when there are so many other specialists who could be providing care, and you have to look at all these data and all these um, and and you also have to document all these things. There are just so many things that need to occur in that twenty minutes. And, and even if it's longer, um, in order to really provide empathetic care, I, I mean, time is essential, right? You need, you it takes time to gain trust. It takes time to communicate uh, in an empathetic way, I think. So um, it, is, it is a challenge in, in every aspect of healthcare, I, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I feel... Um... I've been curious since the beginning of our conversation um, to hear your personal journey and personal story because it inspired such a big change in your own professional career and has continued to be the common thread through all of your advocacy work. So um, would you would you share what happened that that brought you to this point? Yeah. So my so you know, I did share that I was a wedding videographer. Um, and my, um, and I had two little children at the time. So uh, my father got diagnosed with stage three esophageal cancer. And he had um, multiple, multiple gaps of care because of the language barrier and culture barrier he had um, and the care he received here. But on top of that, he had about 15, 20 medications on the list. He had to be tested five times for his blood sugar. Um, and uh, he was on medication called insulin. And one of the regimen is called sliding scale insulin. And, um, um, and that means that you would inject higher dose of insulin when the result comes high. So you, you test the blood sugar, and if the result is high, you would inject high dose. If it's lower, then you would inject lower dose as directed by the doctor. And I religiously followed that order because I felt like I did not know any better. I was not in healthcare at the time. And, um, and that was biggest mistake 
at hindsight because um, you assume that the doctors are doing their jobs, um, you know, and then taking care of my father. And um, if they're not talking to each other, if they're not, um, if there's no system that's coherent to begin with, that's a false belief. That's that's a dangerous belief that patients and caregivers would have, and that's what I had at the time. And um, because of my father's disease state, um, he was often dehydrated, and that can cause the reading to be false. It could be falsely high, it could be falsely, uh, you know, elevated, and that, and that would trigger me to inject higher dose, and that would lead us to go to ER because he would just crash. His, his sugar was not high um, and, you know, in reality. So it was, um, so we would go to the ER, they would restore the glucose, he would be discharged, um, no explanation of what happened, how we can prevent it. Um, there was nothing, no, nothing like that. And two weeks later, we will repeat the same thing. Same hospital, same reason, same way of discharging. We were just so frustrated. Like I was following the doctor's order, and you know we, and we sought to see the the primary doctor for a follow up, and he said this could happen to diabetic patients, and he, he did not want to see us. So we were just so distressed, and um booked a flight to go back to South Korea uh, because there, there will be no language barrier, no cultural barrier, and it's a lot cheaper to get care um, that's more comprehensive. And um, so, you know, we booked our flight, including my kids, and he passed away one week before our flight. Mm -hmm. And um, when you experience multiple hypoglycemia, um, your, you can die earlier than than normal patients who would get um, proper care. So, um, we, and, we, and we don't know if that's really the cause because he did not really, uh, he did not have the autopsy, which I did not even get educated on what that was or what that meant. Um, I was just so overwhelmed and there was really no one, no one at the ER to educate or to tell us what's going on, what what our options are. So after this happened, um, I was just so determined um, to change healthcare very naively, and um, and just I, I just kept following my heart, following my heart, and um, shared my stories with other people, and I began meeting other people um, who experienced similar. Um, medical adverse events. And I thought it was because I had language and cultural barriers, but it, it wasn't that. All these advocates who approached me and no perfect, they were perfectly well-spoken, perfectly well-educated, and some were even in healthcare, some were like even doctors. Um, so I realized it wasn't just, you know, people with barriers. It could affect anybody. And um, that's why I began to um, 
like actively advocate and um, you know, we formed this organization, Patients for Patient Safety US. And um, it's been an exciting journey to um, work with other people who are empathetic to other patients and caregivers and, um, you know, want to help others to be able to advocate for themselves and protect their loved ones. Well, it sounds like a very traumatic story because he was sick, but it was not the illness that took his life. It was the fact that there were these complicating factors. When you're talking about dehydration, that's a simple solution. That's water, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. there had been cohesion and different parts communicating. Um, I can imagine how, how, um, how tormenting it is around the wishful thinking. I wish I'd known this. I wish I'd known that. I wish I'd known that. Right. Um, Yeah. So I really, I feel that um, for you deeply. Um, So um, I'm going to include information about the organization that you helped to co-found patients for patient safety in the U S in the link below in the description. So people can get more information. I'll include information about uh, the same one, the chapter in Canada, and you said Ireland and wherever else there is uh, options. So people who are watching or listening um, can can learn more. Um, we're coming at the end of our time. And I like to, to end by asking guests if they can think of a time in their lives when they were on the receiving end of empathy. You alluded at the beginning of our conversation, <laughs> this nurse. So I'm wondering if you could share with us. Um... Yeah, so this was right before my dad passed away. My dad was a very quiet person, very uh, voracious reader. And um, I was asked this question um, by my therapist once. And she asked me, uh, what was your father's last words? And um, I thought about it and, um, and it was a thank you. And it wasn't to me. But it was to the nurse who was injecting the painkiller for him. And um, so he was in so much pain, like he was vomiting blood. And um, so this nurse um, gave the painkiller. And my father, like, uttered, like, almost inaudible, thank you to the nurse who gave the painkiller. And she was just, just so touched by it because, you know, I- I'm sure. I'm I'm not I'm not a nurse I don't know but like I'm sure there are very few patients who would use all their might to say thank you to the nurse who's giving the uh, injection so she was very touched and she was like wiping my um, father's like sweat on the forehead and and she said, like, you're not at the place to say thank you to me. And um, she, like, almost hugged his his head and, like, kissed his forehead um, as she was saying. it. she was really thankful for what my father did. And, and at that moment, like, I, um, I felt really touched by it. And um, I was like... Where, where, it, where was this nurse? All this, I mean, from this journey, like, where was someone like her in his care? And um, although um, she was doing that to my father, 
um, like I felt like I was um, being cared by her in a way. So um, I think like that moment really taught me a lot. Um, it taught me that little gratitude can go really far away, far, you know, and really can open people's hearts. Um, and that resonation um, can really go farther, I think, um, as a ripple effect. Um, and uh, it was kind of given that I would be uh, advocating for empathy from that point on because it was really um, touching moment and unforgettable moment for me. I don't even remember her face or name, but like how she, what she did. And, and I mean, and also what my father did was also touching. Mm -hmm. uh, although he didn't say that to me, um, like I, what I was able to observe was a, a, a great gift for me. So that was the story I wanted to tell. That is an incredibly powerful and beautiful story. Come Samnida for sharing <laughs> the story. Um, your father sounds like a wonderful human being. I'm glad he had that nurse um, in his passage. And I'm glad that um, even though you lost your father um, and have changed your career as a result of that experience, that you have work of such purpose uh, to bring more empathy into healthcare. So. I just want to thank you so much um, and thank everyone who's watching and listening. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And I, I loved your book and there were so many notes I took as I was reading it. <laughs> thank you so much. We'll see you all next week at Purposeful Empathy. Thanks so much for watching this episode and I hope you'll consider subscribing to the channel. Purposeful Empathy is devoted to amplifying the voices of people from across the globe who understand the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. You've just done something about it by watching the show. Again, subscribe if you can and consider picking up a copy today.